Welcome, uh, welcome to Parkview. Welcome to All's Not Fair in Love and War. A woman woke up in the middle of the night to find that her husband wasn't in bed, and so she went downstairs to try to find out what was going on. And he was staring pensively out the window, deep in thought, kind of eyes kind of misty. And she's like, honey, what's the matter? Why, why couldn't you sleep? And he said, do you realize that our 20th anniversary is coming up? And, and she said, yeah, I can't believe you remembered. I'm so touched. That's amazing. He said, do you remember when we first started dating? I was 18 and you were 16. She said, yeah, of course. He said, do you remember when your dad caught us making out in the back seat of my car? Yeah, I remember that. He said, do you remember when he stuck a shotgun in my face and said, you either marry my daughter or you're going to jail for 20 years? She said, yeah. He wiped a tear from his cheek and said, I'd have gotten out today. <laughs> that is funny right there. I don't care who you are. That is funny. That is the problem, my friends. Why, why am I doing this series? Well, in the 1930s, you had a one in seven chance of your marriage ending in divorce in the 1930s. In the 1960s, you had a one in four chance. Today, you have a one in two, and the odds are getting worse and worse. And God says, guard yourself in your spirit. Do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Jesus said, for this man reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. They were no longer two but one, so what God has joined together, let not man separate. I want our marriages not just to be stuck together. I don't want them to just be glued together. I want them to be blessed, and I think that God does too. But it's going to take work. So every once in a while, I've got to come back on this. And honestly, I'm coming back on this now out of a sense of urgency. I, I know people. I've got. It just seems like there's an epidemic of marriages breaking up around me. And, and I really wanted to come back and say, hey, you know what? If we take some work, we make this happen, we can save some of these. We can save yours. We can make yours better. Let me remind you of Einstein's second theory of relativity, okay? Every system left to itself will break down. That's why your house keeps getting dirtier instead of getting cleaner, right? That's why your car sitting out in the driveway is not going to miraculously turn into a Maserati. It's going to rust away. And if you've been treating your marriage like that, if you've just been letting it sit out in the rain, and it's going to start rusting away. And at some point, it's not going to work. And you're going to end up in love and war. And you're going to end up with these problems. But I want to tell you, even if your marriage is an old rust bucket right now, you can restore it. You could have a classic automobile. You could have it all start all over again, and that's what we're going to do. Um, I, any system left to itself will deteriorate if it's not cared for. And what ends up happening, classic line from a, the new movie Date Night, is you end up becoming excellent roommates. Excellent roommates. So we're going to care for it. Two books we've got available for you out there, Love and Respect, my all-time favorite marriage book, Love and Respect, um, really helps you to understand the difference between guys and ladies in a different way than men are from Mars. It's, it's more about the biblical structure and how we love our spouse. And then a new one called uh, Love and War, kind of where I got the title for this, Love and War by John and Stacy Eldridge. John, in that book, they say the way these things work together, we take two people with two broken personalities and we put them together and it says the way we put these things together is chilling. You could not script a more frightening scenario. Opposites attract, all right, but our mutual brokenness is drawn together like a match in gunpowder. We have love, we have war. That's why it works that way. But God is in this, they said. He is the author of your marriage. He planned this. And the elders believe that not only did God plan for you and your spouse to be able to come together, but that you would be able to come together and be the healing agent through whom God comes. 
So that instead of it being war, that it could be love, and that could it could not only be your love, it could be God's love working through each other. Now I'm going to reference several uh, authors and pastors along the way. Most of the sermon today is from a pastor, Andy Stanley, in, uh, in uh, Georgia. Some great stuff on the I marriage that I'm doing today. Um, but I also really love Gary Smalley. He's a great marriage mentor, and he's got some advice for us on video before we get started. Hi, I'm Dr. Gary Smalley, and I've been helping marriages for years improve and I've got a couple of friends who have some very unique insights into marriage, and I want you to meet them. Hey, thank you, Gary. My name is Johnny. And I'm Chachi. And you know, marriage is something I think we're all excited about, and something that we think we can bring a lot of wisdom to. Isn't that right, Dr. Dobson? Uh, Smalley? Oh, well, oh. That, that's oh. our faux pas. We've got some killer marriage tips we think are really going to knock your socks off. Yeah. So let's do some dancing, get this party started, and help marriages no. out all over the country. Let's no. do it. No, let's go ahead and just roll with the tips. No dancing. When you get the chance, finish your wife's sentences for her. It's important that she knows that you know where she's going with a particular thought or sentence. Yeah, this says, I know you, I love you. And you're predictable, but in a good way. When on vacation, have fun. But make sure your wife knows exactly how much this thing is costing. Now remember, allowing her to feel guilt can actually be a good thing. Right you are, because guilt is actually an acronym for good financial stewardship. No, that's... Yeah, it is. It is. No, no. When you're in an argument, it's key to use the time that your spouse is talking to come up with what you want to say next. So it goes like this. You speak, and then while she's speaking, you think, and then you speak again. And that's how the killer comebacks happen. Surprise your wife with a weekend trip for you and your buddies. Husbands, doing this will help her see that you're taking care of your needs. And taking care of your needs will give you the ability to take care of her needs. You know, putting your kids in timeout works for most parents. But putting your spouse in timeout can also be really effective. Putting your spouse in the timeout chair will hopefully help her see things from a different perspective, preferably yours. And if you get any pushback, I'd let her know that you're having a hard time telling her apart from the children. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. <laughs> Whenever your wife tells you about something she wants to buy, respond with the sound effect of a cash register. Here's a little role play for you. Hey, honey, I'm going to go buy some skinny jeans. Cha-ching. <laughs> hey, honey, I'm going to go get some bread now. Cha-ching. <laughs> You know, guys, uh, those are kind of horrible tips. Okay. I guess she didn't like them that much. I mean, when you think about it, uh, those were killer tips, and I think they'd, like, kill most marriages. Well, <laughs> I guess we're at an impasse then. Yeah. Awkward. Hey, Gary, here's an idea, though. To keep the video rolling, let's just do the robot at the end and... Send this thing off for some fun, if you know what I'm saying. We gonna do that with us? I, I, I tell you what, I was, you know, uh, a little bit uncomfortable by this. It's kind of like weird. 
That's all you need to know. Let's have communion. Uh, When you're growing up, you end up with a script in your life. You don't really know it. Maybe you haven't even paid attention to it. But you have a script in your life because you grew up in a certain household and things went a certain way. Or you grew up in a household and things didn't go a certain way. Or you watched certain movies. Or you, you know, lived in a certain culture. And you have these desires that you bring as you come into marriage. You have desires about finances, how you're going to spend your money. You have desires about how you're going to spend your time, how things are going to work, like on vacation and uh, what kinds of vacations you're going to go. You have desires on how many children that you're going to have and how that's going to work. You have desires about what kind of a home that you want to have. Maybe you grew up in this home or maybe you didn't grow up in a home, and so you have these desires about how things are going to go. You have desires about what your spouse will or will not wear to bed. And this is the uh, a knot. Yes, yeah, so you, you, you have those desires, or maybe you end up with, uh, you know, different desires, and, and, and you know, maybe, maybe this is just kind of how things went for you growing up. You have, you, have these, uh, you have these desires about how you think things ought to go, this script for how things ought to go, who ought to do the dusting, who ought to do the cleaning. You have this script about what kind of car you want to get, and if we save up enough money, maybe we'll end up with the right kind of car. And you have all these desires, and so you come down the aisle, and, and you walk down the aisle, I better get that back in there, you walk down the aisle, and, and you're like, dum, dum, da, dum, and you're walking down, with, or, or maybe it's da, 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 because you have these unrealistic, maybe, and, and some of them are God-given desires that you're walking down the aisle with. And so we go, we go to a marriage, and we go to a wedding ceremony, and we watch these people walk down the aisle, and they're so beautiful, and they're all dressed up, but we know they're walking with this basket. I mean, they may not see it. They may not even realize it. You may not even know that you have them, but you bring these desires to this, to this relationship, right? You're pre-programmed. It's so easy for it to happen. Let me prove it to you. Say silk three times. Silk, silk, silk. What do cows drink? Water. See how easy that was? Cows don't drink milk. That's awkward. Suckers. We, but, but, but that's what happens to us growing up, right? You grew up in this home and, and there were these expectations. Well, my dad does this and my mom does this. Or you grew up in a home where you wished that somebody would do something. You grew up in a home where communication was about yelling at each other all the time. Or you grew up in a home where the communication was, everybody was quiet. And nobody ever knew if anybody had a problem. Okay, that's all great. You, and, and some of these are God-given desires. Some of them are just the way things are. So you come to marriage and, and you get into marriage and at some point along the way, you find a new box, and it's called the expectation box. And at some point, we start to take these things that were our desires, and we start to put them over into the expectation box. We're, we're not, not going to deal with that anymore. We're, we, you know, this is, my expect, this is my expectation of you, because this is the way that it was supposed to be, and, and this is the, you know, the expectation. And all of a sudden, you end up with an expectation box, and you dump all the stuff out of your desire box into your expectation box. And then you have got a real problem, don't you? Because what you've ended up doing is is you've taken all your dreams and all your visions and all the stuff that you wanted in marriage, and it's okay because you talked about it when you were dating, and they, you know, first they were your fiance, so you had these desires, but now they're your wife. Now it's your husband, and the desires have turned into expectations, and all of a sudden you end up with what we call a big I marriage. 
Because this is about I. This is about me. This is about what I want, okay? Uh, a definition of expectation is you owe me. Remember, you swore at the altar and I'm holding you to it. You owe me. That's the way that it's supposed to go. You promised. You said, I do, richer for poor. But when desires are translated into expectations, all of a sudden we end up in a debt-debtor relationship. A debt-debtor relationship. You've gone from, I really want to give my hopes and dreams to you and I hope that we can fulfill them together, to I expect you to do these things for me. And when you end up in a debt-debtor relationship, love is gone. Love is gone. Because what's going to happen in a debt-debtor relationship, there's no way to give or receive love. If my expectation is this, and I get this, then you're up to zero. If my expectation is this and you do this, then you're at break-even. There's no love there. After all, that's what wives, husbands are supposed to do. Congratulations, you've got up to meeting my obligations. And all of a sudden, there's no love anymore. There's no opportunity to give or to receive love. If it's an expectation and it gets met, it's no big deal. Case in point, Andy Stanley says, have you ever gotten a thank you note from your mortgage company for making your payments? Have you? I mean, you know, you ever gotten, dear Tim, thank you. Dear Tim and Denise, we're so appreciative that you are so faithful in making your mortgage payments. We've been following you and the girls and we just love your life. And here's a gift card to Applebee's. Go out to dinner on us. Thank you for making your payments. No, you don't get that. Why? Because your mortgage payment is an expectation. Are you, it's an expectation. You starting to follow me? You tracking here? This is an I thing, okay? All of a sudden, I'm the, I'm the debtor and you're the debty, or one way or the other. I'm, I'm the person that owes and you're the person that I'm paying off, or you're the person that owes and I'm the person that you're supposed to pay off, and I have an I marriage and there's no love there because that's just what I expect. As a matter of fact, the only time you will ever hear from your bank is when? When you miss a payment, yeah. And miss a payment, you get a letter. Miss a couple payments, you get a couple, you know, letters. After a while, you'll get some personal attention, won't you? You'll get a phone call. If you went to the wrong bank, you'll find some big Sicilian named Guido at your door. If you miss a payment, is this starting to feel like your marriage all of a sudden? Well, then guess what? It's an I marriage. If the only time you ever hear from your spouse is when you don't do something, then you've taken your, they've taken your, their desires and they've dumped them into the expectation box, and we've got problems. We've got big problems, my friend, because we have, at that point, an I marriage. We have an expectation. Now, the truth of the matter is, there can't be a love in an I marriage. There can only be Guido. So how do we do something about this? What are we supposed to do? Option number one is we quit. Okay, as soon as things got dumped into the expectation box, I'm going to quit. This may be... And I'm gonna be, I want to be—I want to be sensitive when I say this, but this may be why some of you are in second or third marriages, and they feel just like the first one, because you thought, well, the first person didn't meet all my expectations. They couldn't do all these things that I wanted them to do. So I'm going to take them all and I'm going to dump them back into my desire box and then I'm going to go walk down the aisle again. Dum, dum, da, dum, 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 da, dum. And after a little while, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to start dumping all those things back into the expectation box with the new person. And guess what? They're not going to meet all your needs either. The problem is not them. The problem is I got an eye marriage. Wherever I go, there I am. Option number two is I could conquer. 
I could conquer, you know? I mean, a lot of times there's a dominant personality in a marriage. There's a first child married to a middle child or however the dynamic is going to work. And so you've got a dominant person. So what happens is the conqueror starts to happen. I, was, uh, I got to listen to Ken Blanchard this week, the one-minute manager guy. And he was talking about, he's got a book called Lead Like Jesus. And he's become a Christian and he, he thinks that Jesus is the best model for leadership. And he said, the model for Jesus' leadership is servanthood, right? I mean, the greatest will be a servant. He said the problem with most bosses is most bosses have a seagull mentality when it comes to leading. They, they, they fly in, they squawk around a little bit, they take a dump on everybody, and then they fly off again. Does that sound like your boss? You know? That's, that's, that's the, and, that may, and some of you are going, yeah, I know, I'm feeling that way at home. If there's a conquer problem, what, what's the opposite of that? The opposite of conquer is conquered. If there is a conqueror, then there is a conquered person. And that conquered person might say, you know what, I give up. I can't do this anymore. Okay, white flag, I surrender. If your mom made brownies this way, then I'll make the brownies this way. I'll do whatever I can. I will do whatever I can to meet your expectations because I just want to keep the peace in the family. Here's a little insight from Stanley. I thought it was really interesting. Here's the problem with our I marriage, okay? The problem is it's really easy for me to be me. It's really easy for you to be you. It's really easy for Denise to be Denise. Because she grew up with all those things in her life. She was pre-programmed. She, God gave her desires and, and God gave me desires. It's real easy for me to be me. It's real easy for her to be her. It's not easy for her to be me. It's really not easy for me to be her. So when we start dumping our expectations on our spouse and say, I don't understand why you can't just do it that way, we're forgetting that they're a completely different person than us. We end up in conquer, conquered. And here's a bigger problem for Christians. In Christian circles, many of you grew up, you know, hearing those scriptures, you know. We got scriptures we can throw at this whole thing, right? I got scriptures I can talk about expectations. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let me tell you something. If you have to start throwing scripture at your spouse, all you've done is put a cross around your eye marriage. You, you just got a big eye with a cross hanging around it. That's all you've done. Because it, it, that's still a conquer, conquered situation. Okay, that still doesn't work. The third option is you could compromise. You could compromise, right? A man overheard a couple of kids doing a, a wedding ceremony, mock wedding ceremony. You know, she got all dressed up, and the boy got all dressed up, and another boy was a preacher, and uh, he started repeating the vows. He said, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. You may kiss the bride. Sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like we're in, a, in this legal thing going back and forth, okay? I'm going to compromise. I'll do my part if you do your part. I will fulfill your expectations if you will fulfill my expectations. What is that, my friends? It's still an I marriage, okay? It might keep the peace, it might seem like it makes sense, but you're going to end up being, if I can go back to that term, excellent roommates. I want to keep bringing that up, because if you and your spouse feel like excellent roommates right now, let me tell you something. The first thing that's going to go when you have a compromise, I marriage, is that. Am I right? The first thing that's going to, I mean, if it's all about, okay, I'll do this for you if you do this for me, where's the romance? Where's the love? It's not there. 
It can't possibly be there. There's no intimacy. I'll do this for you if you do it for me. The problem is you're still committed to you, right? I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my. What I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. That's me, okay? That's a big old I marriage. That's all it is. And the intimacy and the romance and the stuff that makes marriage what it really is supposed to be evaporates because it's still an I marriage. But let me tell you something. God has a better plan, okay? He has a better plan. He wants to help us put us together to love each other. He wants to make these things work. Let me say this again. So much of what starts out in this desire box is God-given, okay? There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with wanting a nice house. There's nothing wrong with wanting three kids. There's nothing wrong with wanting good physical intimacy. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. There's nothing wrong with that. But as soon as I take those desires and I dump them on the shoulders of my spouse... I've created a problem. I've created an I marriage. How do you know you have an I marriage? Well, here's a couple of easy things for you to figure out. Expressions of gratitude and acts of service. When's the last time, and I'm going to put this on, on you, on me, okay? When's the last time you said thank you to your spouse for doing something that you thought was supposed to be their job? And number two, acts of service. How often do you walk by the thing that you think should be their job, their role, their expectation, and not help them do it because, after all, this is your thing. You're supposed to do this. When's the last time you thanked your husband for mowing the lawn? When's the last time you thanked your wife for emptying the dishwasher? When's the last time you walked by the dishwasher and didn't help her unload the dishwasher because that was her expectation? You see where I'm going with this? I do it. You do it. I mean, that, we have roles. We have things that we do. But all of a sudden, you've got a compromise eye marriage there. All of a sudden, the romance is gone. If you're not expressing thanks and you're not jumping in to serve them, then you've probably got an eye marriage problem going on. And I think we all do. Now imagine how different your marriage could be if everything stayed over here. Imagine... How different your marriage could be if I mean, you still have desires. You still have their God-given desires. You still have them. But imagine that every time they met that desire, all you could do was say thank you. All you could do was help them. All you could do was say, wow, that's so awesome that that happened. I'm so thankful that you met my God-given desire. Instead of, well, it's about time we got that house. That was our dream a long time ago. Well, it's about time you did that. Well, that was my expectation. Imagine that. Do you see that? That's the difference. That's the love. You don't have to run away. You don't have to conquer. You don't have to compromise. You can covenant. You can have a covenant with each other. Imagine a marriage built around fulfilling each other's desires and dreams. A covenant means I will even if you won't. Ephesians 5.21 Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the, the Greek word there means that you do it to yourself. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down voluntarily. When Jesus came into, the, into our lives, when he came into humanity, he willingly submitted. He covenanted with us. God covenanted with us and said, I'm going to do this whether you do it for me or not. I'd love for you to do it for me. I'd love for you to follow me. But whether you do or not, I'm going to die for you. So why do we submit to each other? Out of reverence for them because they deserve it, because they're the, they're the wonderful person, and, and after all, they, they fulfill all my desires? No, I submit to my wife out of reverence for Christ. 
doesn't have anything to do with her. You see how different that is? You see how amazing that could be? You say, wait a minute, how's that possible, Tim? How could I possibly dredge up the power? How could I possibly gain enough love to be able to love my spouse in a covenant love that meant I would love her even if she didn't love me back? Well, what do you think I'm going to say? You came to church, didn't you? You're going to learn that love. You're going to get that love through Jesus. You submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. You, when you are a believer, and if you're not a believer and you've got a marriage out here today, I want to tell you something. It can still work. These principles still work. But those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit living in us that enables us to make these things happen. Not out of reverence for you, but out of reverence for Christ. And so what I do is I take all the passion and all the love that I have for Jesus, and I take that concept of the fact that I'm saved by grace, not because I'm good enough. Jesus doesn't love me because I'm good enough. He doesn't love me because I'm fulfilling his desires. He came and died on the cross for me even though I stunk, right? And so I take that gratitude back for him and I sing worship songs, I give money, I do acts of service back for him. Yeah, maybe, but no. What he really wants me to do, first and foremost, is he wants me to take that gratitude for him and love my wife with it. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Submit to your husbands. Give up your will for them. Why? As to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay? There can't be an expectation box there, can there? It's not about how lovable she is or how, whether she earned it. Okay? It, 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 you know what's weird about this? is These things happen all the time when somebody's sick. I see it happen all the time. I've seen it in the last week, uh, my mom, even with my own family. My mom got a knee replaced this week. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm listening to my dad talk about taking care of my mom. And she's in a rehab center, and, you know, there are people taking care of her. But it's amazing. I've been with people whose uh, spouse has cancer, and they're home on hospice, and they're, they're in the hospital. They've given up their, their job. They're sleeping there at night. Why is it that when our spouse gets in a debilitating situation, we seem to be able to find the love and the power and the ability to love them and to, to take the eye marriage out of the way? But as soon as they're able to love us back, and if they don't love us back, then we're like, okay, wait a minute. Debt, debtor. Why is that, why does that happen? 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross for us as a demonstration of an act of service, and he wants us to do exactly the same thing. I take that relationship. As a Christian, you shouldn't conduct your marriage in the shadow of a big eye, you should conduct your marriage in the shadow of a cross. You notice how, how closely they resemble each other? You notice that? I mean, you know, it's just kind of just a little bit different, but it's completely different in your attitude. We're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I know, what, I know you're afraid of things. I know some of you are going, okay, yeah, well, but wait a minute, Tim. I've got to keep him on a short leash because if, you know, if I do what you're saying, I'm afraid that he'll convert back to, I'm afraid that she will. I mean, this sounds really great, but I've got to keep him on a short leash. Let, let me just do Dr. Phil for a second. How's that working for you? How's the marriage going? Okay? If you're telling me that you're keeping your spouse on a short leash, I'm guessing there's not a whole lot of love and romance. I'm guessing that the, at very best, you're just excellent roommates. You know what they call keeping someone on a short leash? Parenting, okay? 
If that's the situation that you're in, if that's what's going on, you're not going to have love in your life. You're not going to be able to survive. And, and I've I got to tell you that it may not work. I understand this. Some of you are in abusive situations. I'm not saying that you need to let somebody abuse you. Some of you are in situations where they're just going to be unfaithful and there's nothing you can do about it. Jesus even said that there are times when it, it, you've got to get out, okay? And the truth of the matter is you may not get through to them. You may unconditionally love them all of your life and they may never love you back. But one day you'll stand before God and say, God, I tried. I was grateful to you, so I loved her. And she ran off and she treated your love disrespectfully and irresponsibly and trampled on it. But that's between you and her because I did my best. I did my best to love her. No guarantees. The person that you married is sick, just like you were sick. They're not perfect. We all stink. We understand that, okay? So, what can I do? How can I make this healthier? How can I get rid of the eye marriage? Let me just give you three simple letters. C-A-R. Confess. First thing you do is you go to your spouse. Maybe you go to your spouse today, this afternoon. You go to lunch, whatever, and you say, okay, honey, let's talk about this eye marriage thing, you know, because excellent roommates, that scares me. I don't want to be excellent roommates. I want us to love one another. So how, am I, how have I been an eye marriage person for you? How's that worked? The A is for ask. Tell me what your desires are. Tell me what these things are. Because you know what? The truth of the matter is a lot of times we don't even get it. We don't even realize it, do we? I mean, until we think about it. You know what? I mean, my, my wife and I have been married for 26 years, and we still, have, we still have mind-blowing conversations about things that I did not know she felt that way about. And, and all you got to do is ask to find those things out. And the R is for reward. You've got to reward when they do meet your desires. If you reward them, that's positive reinforcement. All of a sudden, they're going to say, you know what? I, I mean, I can't tell you how different it is to be in a marriage where all of a sudden there is grace and there is love and there is reward and I, there is thanksgiving and there is acts of service. That is what it's supposed to be. Well, well okay, well, wait a minute, Tim. What about all the stuff in the desire box that my spouse doesn't meet? What am I supposed to do with that? You know what you're supposed to do with it. Your spouse is not God. God is God. You're supposed to take it back to God. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the, putting sex up on the pedestal. I talked about Leah, the woman who kept having babies, hoping that her husband would love her and fulfill her desire for love. And finally, on the fourth baby, she finally said, oh, well, this time I'm going to praise the Lord. This time I'm going to throw my desires at the foot of Jesus. This time I'm going to give my desires to God, and I'm going to let him meet my needs. Your spouse is never going to be able to meet your needs. You seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's how it works. That's how you stay out of an eye marriage. Herbert and Zelmyra Fisher of North Carolina hold the world's record for wedded bliss. Do you, have you heard this story? He's 104, she's 101, and on May 13th, they will have been married 86 years. That's a world's record. I know, it's awesome, isn't it? Aren't <laughs> they cute? They have five children, ten grandchildren, nine great-grandchildren, and one great-great-grandchild. Isn't that crazy? It's funny. They did, last Valentine's Day, they dabbled in uh, Twitter land, and uh, they tweeted to, pack some, to answer some questions for people. And those of you that keep wanting me to Twitter, let me just tell you, when I'm 100, I'll do it, I promise, okay? 
They asked them, well, tell us about communication. And this is the answer they gave back. They said, well, the kids are grown, so it's a lot easier now. (laughs) Your kids are on social security for crying out loud. They've been grown for 50 years, but I do have to say, you know, um, it is a lot easier when your kids are grown and you start to have some more time. Be ready for that. Someday it's awesome. They said, what's the one thing that you have in common that transcends everything else? And their answer was, we are both Christians and we both believe in God. Marriage is a commitment to the Lord. We pray with and for each other every day. That's how you make it to 86 years, my friends. One more question. They said, at the end of a bad relationship day, what is the most important thing to remind yourself? They said, remember that marriage is not a contest. Never keep score. They get this I marriage thing. Never keep score. God has put the two of you together on the same team to win. See, what God wants to do in your marriage is He wants to work through you to love your spouse. He wants to work through your spouse to love you. He wants, to be a, he wants you to be a demonstration of His love to the world. But it's got to start in your own home. Do you know why you wear your ring on the fourth finger? It's actually an old Chinese, uh, it's a Chinese, the Chinese are responsible for it, and the way the thing goes is like this. We're two married people, and when two married people come together, those are the, represent the middle fingers, according to Chinese tradition. So when you put your hands together and the middle fingers come together, you've come together in union, okay? And for the Chinese, the thumbs represent your parents and, and who your parents are. Your, your index finger represents your siblings, your pinky fingers represent what's going to happen through your marriage, and your ring finger represents your marriage. They said the reason that the ring finger is on the fourth finger is if you put your hands together like this, do it with me, put your hands together like this with your middle fingers crossed and put together, you see one day you're going to end up leaving your parents. You're going to leave your father and mother, be united to your wife. Your siblings are going to move away. You're not going to be with them anymore. Your kids are even going to grow up and move away. But try to move your ring finger apart. Isn't that good? That's why you wear your ring. Now you can start telling people that story. That's why you wear your ring on that finger. Because when you've come together, what God has put together, please let no man separate. I really, I really do care about you. I really care about your marriage. I care about you people in Switzerland. I don't know who you are. I care, I care about whoever's listening to this on the internet. I care about your marriage. I don't have to know you to care about it. It breaks my heart to see your marriage is blowing up, and I don't want it to happen, and it doesn't need to happen. What if I told you there was a magic pill you could take that could solve your marriage problems? What if I told you there was just something you could just pop, you know, and all of a sudden everything would be different? For I received of the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant. Remember, covenant is about I love you, whether you love me or not. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. As a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have Jesus' love living inside of you. Not only as an example, not only to live in the shadow of the cross, 
but you have the power of God living inside of you. John said, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. So if you have God inside of you, you have love inside of you. It can happen. Peter said, his divine power has given, given us everything we need for life and godliness. Those things can happen in your life. They can happen in your life today. I know that the person that you're loving might not reciprocate. I know that it might not work out the way that you want to. I understand all those things. That does not take away from your or my responsibility to pass on the love of God. And if we're supposed to pass on the love of God, it's got to start with the person that we're sitting next to. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you took that eye and you just uh, changed the cross beam a little bit and helped us to understand what it really means to follow you. You died on, on that cross beam. You died on that big piece of wood. You died on that cross to show us what it meant to have a covenant. And when you gave us this cup that we're about to drink, you said it's the cup of the new covenant. Not the covenant based on whether you follow all the rules and regulations and all the laws, then I will bless you. It was the new covenant based on the fact that I died for you, I died for your sins, I give myself for you, that whoever believes in me, it doesn't have to be good, it doesn't have to be perfect, it doesn't have to be lovely, whoever believes in me will be loved. Whoever believes in me will not perish, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Lord, as we come to you right now in communion, we believe, we believe not only that you loved us that much, but we believe that we can love that much. Be with us as we commune. In Jesus' name, amen.